Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's another episode of Cinematics. This is episode 188. I'm joined by my betters, Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes, what did you just get finished with? You, you came in a, a minute or two late because you had a had a job to do. What was that job? You know, I watch a bunch of picture shows uh, this week. I, I just had to watch one last picture show before we recorded. Right, that is the last picture show. That is our box movie for this week. Bruce Perky, it's amazing. You you've never seen this movie, or you saw that saw this movie when you were a kid, and you had memories of it. No, this is one of those movies I've heard about forever. I've seen a lot of Bogdanovich's movies, but I saw, I've always seen like shots from this movie or little stills from this movie. And I know it's very, very famous. And I know that, uh, what is it? Uh, Sybil Shepard got her breakout from this. And so, yeah, no, never saw it. Okay, very good. We have several movies this week, three movies to cover. We have On the Edge. It's an action thriller, crime thriller set in Brussels. A bunch of Brussels stuff. There's a movie called The Eight Mountains. It's set in the Italian Alps, but... The filmmakers, there's two filmmakers, they're both, they're both, um, they're, they're both Belgian. So, and then we have a, a documentary called The Taking, which Bruce and Eric covered. Let's start off with On the Edge, which currently right now is on digital, started on digital May 2nd. It's set in Brussels and it centers on a metro driver. He looks very, very sad. It's in, towards the evening and he's going on the subway and he sees a young person jump right in the middle of the train. Bruce, should we mention who that person is because it's already in the the, the plot summary or do you want to actually just um, let people enjoy what that what that thing is? Enjoy. Personally, I, you want to you want to wait? I was going to say I was going to say I don't think it's a problem saying who it is personally because I think that's kind of the crux of the driving motion of the the rest of the story kind of Okay, very good. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Very good. The on the edge character, he is he runs over, he actually doesn't run over. He stops before hitting his son. His son is bloodied, he's dying. He goes to his son. His son gives him some final words before he passes, and the rest of the movie is this person, this very mysterious metro driver. He's more than a metro driver. He has a lot of secrets up his disposal and and he wants to actually take revenge on the people who killed his son. That is the premise of On the Edge. Again, it's a Kino Lorber release. We received a screening link. It's available on digital and Blu-ray. Let's start off with you, Eric Holmes. What did you think of On the Edge? I, I really liked it. I, I was kind of worried at the beginning. It seemed like a, an indie porn movie. And it kind of... Uh, it, it, has a, it has a little bit of... Uh, Oh God! What's a movie that I forget the name of? Uh, Misanthrope. This one also has a pretty bad name. Uh, look up on the edge. You'll find about twenty movies called the same thing. So it's kind of hard to look up. Um, but it's. Uh, I think it's just as good. You know, it starts off a little indie porn and then kind of turns into more of a thriller. Uh, not exactly Sisu, but it's got that kind of uh, kind of. Uh, the 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 guy the main guy has kind of got that sort of background to him where it's like oh this is uh this is someone that we probably shouldn't have messed around with sort of thing um it also has uh did any of you guys end up watching revanche or mm-hmm. revanche it, it's got that kind of that kind of feel to it also um but it, it's pretty good I, I wasn't quite expecting where it was going. 
I would say that kind of towards the middle, um, it sort of loses me a little bit. Not not like loses me, but like, you know, when he when he hits the kid and then finds out his son, I'm like, oh, th- this is going somewhere. And then there's other. I mean, that's not the that's not the only twist. There's other twists that come throughout. Um, and it started kind of picking up. And then when it started turning into a thriller, it kind of lost me a bit. But then it came right back around at the end and kind of stuck the landing for me. But yeah, I, I really like this one in spite of its uh, lame title. Bruce, On the Edge. Yeah, overall, I like it too. Um, I was thinking a little bit of, uh, you were mentioning other movies, and I thought a little bit of Blue Ruin with this movie too, except yeah. the difference with Blue Ruin is that the, he, the guy is totally, has no training basically, and is a total everyman. And in this movie, obviously, he has some training and he's a little more, but he's not hes not like a, a Sisu level kind of almost superhero kind of guy. Um, and I think there's a couple things, you kind of mentioned how, you got a little lost in the middle or, or it did kind of lost you in the middle a little bit. I kind of felt that a little bit too. I think part of the problem is also part of the strength of this movie. And that is, this is a movie where our main character is kind of clueless as to, as to everything that's going on. And he has to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, and we have to kind of figure it out with him. And by doing that, it is really interesting and it, it does a lot of little twists and turns, like you said, but it also can kind of lose us a little bit too. So I, I really appreciate the fact that it doesn't spoon feed us and it lets, it lets the movie unfold kind of for us and the character. But I also think that sometimes that, that can be a little bit, uh, I don't know, like you lose your footing slightly too, but overall, like I, I would agree with you. I, I liked a lot about this. I think it's really pretty stylish, but not over stylized. Right. But this is, it it's kind of gritty, but also it has sort of a, a kind of a cool, and I mean cool and like temperature, like a cool edge to it all the way around. Um, we didn't mention, but there's a a, a woman a police investigator that's trying to basically knows that he is he knows more than he's saying, and she's trying to kind of follow along and get get the truth from him. She thinks he knows more than he knows too, but either way. Uh, there's some interesting stuff there as well. I think overall it's, it's a, a pretty solid crime slash thriller. I, yeah, that, I, I should also point out that the, the Sisu comparison has nothing to do with the movie Sisu itself. It's the main character being, yeah. it, it's the character that's, it's not the person you think they are until yes. you find out who the, until you find out who they are. Right, 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 right. Yeah. For all, me, it's a solid mystery action thriller. This is one of the things if, I had extra money and it was on Blu-ray. I would purchase it on Blu-ray, but you can also available to buy and rent digitally on Kino Now, iTunes, Amazon, and Voodoo on the edge. For me, it's a solid action thriller and with a lot of twists to it. I enjoyed it overall. I'm giving it four stars. What about you, Eric Holmes? Yeah, I probably get a bit uh, four stars too. Also, another movie kind of reminded me of uh, what, what was that? Bluebird of my heart or? Yes, that's the, a really the, good comparison. The, this was uh, if you like that one, uh, definitely check out this one. Or if you check out this one and you like that, if you check out uh, uh, on the edge and you like that, then check out. Is that what it's called? Bluebird of my heart or bluebird? I in think my heart that's or... right, but I can't come up with any closer title than than you did. Uh, yeah. Bluebird of my heart is very close to that. The only thing I would say for me that one's that bluebird one is it's a little tougher. It's a little bit harder core like there's some really hard stuff happening yeah. there than this one i think this is a little more it's leaning slightly towards entertainment 
even yeah. though it's it's not like fully in that camp, you know, and it's not yeah. going like broad appeal. But, yeah. Regardless, I think that both of them like yeah would probably make a great double feature because they're both kind of kindred spirits in a way. Yes, I would agree, and both have the kind of the grizzled older dude that doesn't really want to be doing what he's doing, <laughs> stuck doing what he's doing, but yeah. not quite Liam Neeson yet, <laughs> you know. So and, and, and then go watch, uh, and then go watch CC with the kind yep. of uh, palate cleanse. Yeah, just kind of energize yourself. But yeah, yes. I, 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 I'll give this a four star. I, I think you could bump it up to four and a half, but we'll go four stars for now. What about you, Bruce? On on the edge. I think I'll go three and a half. I, I, I definitely felt I wanted a little more from it, but uh, I mean, I really had a good time watching it, so I don't have a ton of complaints. It's solid. Okay, again, that is On the Edge, Belgian crime drama, and it is out on Blu-ray now and available for streaming on Kino Now, iTunes, again, Amazon, and Vudu. Next up is a movie that I did not see. It's called the docu- it's, uh, called, it's a documentary called The Taking, and I believe it's on Monument Valley. Bruce and Eric did see it. Eric, why don't you lead off on what the taking is about um it's about monument valley um this documentary is very confused or at least i was very confused watching it um it starts talking about monument valley and kind of uh um the you know what it means to native americans and how it's been kind of uh, appropriated through hollywood um and then it starts going on to all the times it's been used in hollywood almost kind of hey isn't this cool that it was used in hollywood <laughs> and then it goes back to some more like it, it, it i don't know that this documentary seems pretty unfocused for the most part um that said it did have some uh did have some i don't know if this was intentionally funny but i thought it was hilarious uh they start you know early on they start showing uh, Monument Valley in like uh, old John Ford movies. And then I, uh, maybe I'll go back to that. Um, they had a film historian talking about, oh, John Ford used the movie because uh, it had this, uh, you know, this uh, thing that goes down and that represents going, uh, descending into hell. And I don't, I don't watch a lot of John Ford interviews, but I've seen enough of them to know that John Ford doesn't really think his movies through that much. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, they cut to John Ford in interviews. It's like, Oh, what did you think of? What were you thinking of when you used the camera to push this way? And that one, I thought it looked cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like that, that, that's pretty much all that goes. That pretty much, pretty much all goes through his head when he's making these, or when he was making these movies. Um, but that, those parts were cool. Uh, you know, watching old clips of, uh, you know, old Westerns was fine. The culture, cultural appropriation and the tourism, I guess being a problem, uh, was enlightening, but I don't quite see how all that mixes together. It almost feels like, uh, look, if I'm doing, if I'm doing a Greg Scherzavosti, uh, documentary, I don't know what that documentary is going to be. I'm going to follow you and just film what I film and then put together what I got. This is different because this is looking back. So if you're doing a documentary where you're looking back, usually there's a story you want to tell. You know, you got talking heads, you have uh, old footage you want to use. I figure there might be kind of more of a point than what I thought this. And maybe, you know, maybe Bruce can enlighten me a little more than our um because i'm clearly missing something it, it was I, I liked watching it it was you know it was fun to watch uh learn a couple things but this seemed really kind of uh 
kind of messy and not very focused in what it was trying to tell. You agree, Bruce? I do kind of agree, actually. Um, here, I'll, I'll kind of come at it from another angle because I think Eric's on to something here. First of all, this movie is, what, 70 minutes long, something like that? Oh, yeah, it's which extremely is, short. But it's way too long for this movie. Uh, yeah. so, so the thing I would say is this. So the idea is kind of interesting, right? You can tell what they had is like, look, here's Monument Value. We've seen it in a billion movies. It's been used as this iconic backdrop to especially Westerns and this kind of re-framing re, uh, of what America means, you know, to the non-indigenous people. So great. That's, that's my concept. We're going we're gonna to go with that and make a movie. But there isn't enough there there to make a full movie out of this. You get the point, and they kind of make the point relatively well in, you know, maybe a 15-minute chunk. Now, the way you could have approached this movie, I think, is say, how have movies throughout history appropriated the landscapes, you know, of indigenous people or to reframe the actual reality of history and to remake it kind of as a icon for whatever government was telling the story. Then you could do it and you could have all kinds of things all over the world they use and you'd have enough breadth for a whole movie. This doesn't quite have that. On the other side of it, there's a ton of interesting footage. It's going to show a bunch of monument valley, Monuments Valley that maybe you never knew was in some of these movies. Like, for example, like they have a little clip from 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, it's like, oh, whoa, I forgot it was in there. Stuff like that. So it's for film buffs, there's probably a little more to, to hold you here. But for non-film buffs, you might be like, okay, what are we doing now? <laughs> We're kind of oh, done. <laughs> they also, and shoot, this might be a spoiler, but really not. But the, I'll, I'll just say the thing they went towards at the end, what what was that about? Like, I get like I get the, the, the event that they showed at the end. Is that even a spoiler? Can I just say what it is? Just say the the January sixth thing. Yeah, that was a stretch. That was a big stretch. I, I, I was like, okay. I mean, that's bad. I get it. Well, that's an example Wait, of what I, they I, didn't I don't, have I enough don't, there, there. I don't understand how all this connects together. Well, that's what I mean. I think that they that's that's what I was saying. They don't they didn't have enough. To, and they were just looking for things to pull in to to give it more meat on the bones you know what i mean like i don't think they had enough meat on the bones I, so i do say that there's like a, a bunch of kind of undercover funny things in here the the best one when they were talking about cultural appropriation and i've seen this before but it didn't really didn't really hit me the way as it did in this documentary but that uh johnny depp commercial oh gosh it's, yeah. it's him playing <laughs> it's him playing, <laughs> him playing guitar in monument valley that is terrible. it's like it's it's the scent of the people. It's savage. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yes. That first of all, that 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 trailer or that uh, commercial is pretty lame. But and I never put this together before. Uh, savage is a disparaging term towards yep. uh, indigenous people, and the fact that Johnny Depp's doing that in, yeah. in Monument Valley and call it Sauvage. Yeah. I, I never put it together until they until they kind of put it in that context. And, and you could have had a bunch of that, those kind of things all over the world being done, right? Like a yeah. bunch of stuff like that. That would yeah. have been too, super entertaining to see, you know, the way that we like retell or recreate yeah. the world in this weird image using these, these like iconic landscapes, I guess. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's weird because there's like nuggets of like really – fun entertaining stuff in this uh little nuggets of things uh, like oh i didn't know that. that that's fucked up or oh i didn't know like the 
the putting down the the concrete and then just leaving it you know, right for the you know stuff like that um you know there's stuff that's enlightening but yeah for and, and it's weird saying that a 70 minute movie is too long but I, I i don't even think it's too long it's just unfocused i i don't know like i understand individual points they're making but i don't know what the overall arc right. is here right okay so that is the taking what is your rating on it eric um probably two stars but like it's still i i still like to watch it so i yeah. don't i don't know <laughs> this uh, you know what i'll just go two stars but still like uh, if you want to check it out just don't expect it to make much sense or make much sense thematically i guess okay bruce I went two and a half, but I'm, you know, pretty much the same boat as Eric. I I, I kind of liked watching it. Same thing. So that's the only reason I, I, I gave it two and a half stars. Oh, and I wanted to mention really quick, um, you know, uh, Greg isn't talking to very much in this episode. It's it's because he hates us. It's not because yeah, he's yeah, sick. That too. I, I exactly <laughs> he's Sorry, just guys. stopped talking to us this whole episode. I've stopped talking. This is the Eric and Bruce show for this episode. Hopefully I get better next week. Now let's get to the to the third movie we're covering this week. It is called The Eight Mountains. It won the Grand Jury Prize last year in Cannes. It's set in the mountain village of Grana, mountainous village of Grana, and also the city of Turin. So you get a little bit of a cityscape, but mainly predominantly the mountain village of Grana. And it centers on just the close-knit friendship of Pietro. He is the city boy who spends his summer in Grana, but he lives most of the year and going to school in Turin. And then... Pietro's best friend is Bruno. Bruno is a, he's lived all his life up in the mountains of Grana. So it's about their, their friendship over the years. It is two hours and 27 minutes. So that is a big warning to people. If you're looking for a 90 minute movie or 70 minute movie, you might not appreciate the eight mountains. Bruce, let's start off with you, your review, your thoughts on this movie. Well, I guess my, my short thoughts is I actually ended up loving this movie, but once again, per your warning, this is going to be a movie that isn't for everybody at all. So it's because um, it's not, <laughs> there's no action as far as like things blowing up or Sisu type stuff happening. Uh, but if you can get into the vibe of this movie, and we talked about movies that have a vibe, I think this movie has a very, a very cool vibe. Um, it, this is epic for me in the best ways, as far as like a, a, a relationship between these two guys kind of in their whole lives and it starts out with them as kids and then i think at one point maybe about 20 minutes in we get a time jump to them as like late teens early 20s and then i don't know another 15 or 20 minutes we get a time jump to them in it seems like they're about their late mid late 30s probably somewhere in that range 30s 30s and um they're at that general age for the rest of the movie um and boy this is one of those movies where you describe it it doesn't sound very interesting but for somehow watching it i was on board a hundred thousand percent and i just really i really kind of sunk into these characters and really wanted to watch what happened with them there's there's and it languid you could say it's languid at moments i know i want to see what eric says he might have been totally bored by this movie it might be a total (laughs) art house hellhole for him but there's movies for example there's moments in the movie where they're they they uh, somebody gets a dilapidated cabin up in the mountains on the side of a and the, really on the side of this giant glacial valley. It's beautiful, but the, the cabin's just rubble, stones and, and wood. And it probably is a good 10, 15 minutes of the movie is them rebuilding this cabin and getting it up and running. And um, 
I was down for it. So once again, I'm not describing very well why I like it. It just felt like you talk about lived in movies or movies where you really feel like you are sitting with the characters. This movie to me is one of those. And they both have arcs. You know, the rich kid is kind of the lost kind of lost and doesn't know what he's doing with his life. And he was kind of resentful of his father who is, passes away. And then the other kid knows what he wants with his life. He wants it. He loves his life there in the mountains. That's his goal. And then some things change for him. Uh, I, I kind of loved it. There's a soundtrack that you may or may not love too, um, by uh, Daniel Norgren, who is a Swedish singer songwriter. And he sounds like some country dude out of Kentucky or something. I did not know he was from Sweden, but I looked it up. Uh, and if you like the mood that he's setting, that also just adds a whole like consistent tone to this movie. I, I, I love this movie. Was it over long for you or just right? No, I was worried and I was definitely worried. I watched it. I, I saw it was two and a half hours. I'm like, oh boy, I don't know if this, if this better be good. And after about 20, 25 minutes, I was, I was, I was down. I was down for the ride. Okay. I'm going to start in a coughing fit, Eric Holmes. So I'm going to mute myself right now. Were you down for the ride with the eight mountains? Uh, this is kind of like drive my car. This is like one of those movies that like, if, if this was nominated for an Oscar for best picture, I wouldn't be surprised, but I kind of also didn't really like enjoy watching it. Um, but at the same time, like after, after finishing all 16 hours of this movie, like I, I (laughs) I keep going back and, uh, like thinking of different scenes, like the, uh, you know, when they decide that they want to, the, you know, tear down what's left of the house and rebuild another one or like, uh, you know, it's got a, uh, you know, certain moments. In fact, last picture show has a uh, similar moments where they, uh, you know, the, we haven't seen each other in a while and they're sitting across the room, just kind of, kind of looking at each other like, Oh, we know each other. We were best friends. And not, like, this is kind of awkward. Um, you know, they have like little kind of personal moments like that. Um, I'm trying to see, like looking back on it, I think of like all the, all the big emotional moments and I'm kind of cramming it together in like, you know, a half hour space. So I forget about like all the times where I'm just checking the watch going, okay. And we're wrapping up. Nope. We still got an hour and a half left. Damn it. <laughs> I kind of felt you might be there. So. Yeah. But that that said, I mean, there's there's a, a lot of great moments between the the characters, um, uh, kind of where it goes uh, with the family stuff, um, you know, because it, it kind of takes a, you know, even thinking back on it now, it kind of takes a a, a path of, uh, hey, isn't this romantic that we can do this thing, and then you see what the reality of it is, who you're, you know, avoiding, who you're neglecting. And then all of a sudden, it's not so romantic anymore. Now you're kind of a shithead or craphead. The family show, Eric. But uh, yeah, the, the, this is a this is a really good movie. It's just not one I particularly like. But also looking back on it, I can I can kind of pick out a bunch of scenes that really work for me. I mean, even uh, early scene where they're jumping over that little that. I say chasm, but it's like a little rift in the glacier that they're, I mean, just that scene alone is informs the whole, the whole rest of the movie. You know, the, the dad made the jump, the kid made the jump, the son can't make the jump. And that, that, that kind of uh, uh, theme kind of carries throughout the, the rest of the movie and, you know, stuff like that is really brilliant. But again, <laughs> 
this is just a really really great movie that i don't like but thinking like thinking back on it i do like parts of it quite a bit directed by charlotte van der Meesch and felix van groningen they're both belgian filmmakers and they both were co-writers along with paolo cognetti this is easily one of my favorite films of the year probably a top five it'll remain their easy five-star classic for me and it's one of these things although it's two hours and 27 minutes. It's a movie that I fell in love with. I am in love with. I can watch it time and time again. I love the way they explored the relationships between the two boys and then turning them into men and how different they become as they get older. Visually, it's one of the most striking films of the year, the compositions, especially if you love mountains and nature and brooks and streams and lakes there's just a lot of it in this movie again like eric was saying there's i think there's going to be people who will not like the movie because of its length and it does meander but just for those the fact that it meanders and it goes through this winding road like bruce was saying you get a very lived in experience with the eight mountains and very few movies give you that full breath of life that eight mountains does easily again a top five for me possibly a top three five star banger for me eric holmes what is your rating on the eight mountains uh, this one this one's tough too because uh the uh, unlike like the taking is like a not good movie that i still enjoyed watching this is like a really good movie that i did not enjoy watching um it, it's it's it, uh for me personally I, i'm just gonna go the same with taking i'm gonna go Actually, no, that's not even fair for this one because <laughs> I'll go three stars on this. I I will say if you liked Drive My Car, I would absolutely check this out. If you were like me and you were like, I'm not feeling Drive My Car, this might be one to stay away from. But mm. that said, it's a really good movie, just not my cup of tea at all. The Eight Mountains, Bruce, what is your rating? Um, I'm going to, I think, first of all, I would agree with Eric that if you didn't like Drive My Car, and vice versa, if you did, go with that feeling with this movie. I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, I go five stars as well. I, I loved it quite a bit. I want to mention one little fact, and I'm not going to mention what it is, but I want to get uh, Greg's take really quick. Were you kind of blown away by um, – there was an event that they that he talks about when he comes back from Nepal. I'm just going to say that. And how that event is brought back around at the end of the movie – if you know what I'm talking about, oh, I'm just right. going to say that was amazing. That was amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. It was so good. Um, a lot of full anyway. circle moments in this movie. Yes. A lot of, yeah. Again, this has a very, very select audience. If people, if you want to actually see a long movie about a life lived, really lived, then this should be the movie for you. Again, that's five stars for me and Bruce. Eric Holmes gives the eight mountains three stars. So before we get to, the last picture show, I'm going to cough again, but Eric Holmes has a couple of recommends. Can you talk very briefly talk about the two recommends you got for this, this week? Yeah, there's uh, we got uh, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. It's a uh, biopic about Whitney Houston. Uh, not quite cradle to grave, but nearly cradle to grave. Uh, it says, uh, you know, starts with Whitney Houston. Uh, CC puts her out. And you got to say, I'm sick. You got to sing for me. Kind of like, uh, kind of like Greg today. It's like, Eric, Bruce, I'm sick. You got a podcast for me. And Bruce and I nervously, <laughs> sheepishly get up to the uh, microphone. It's like, um, <laughs> you know, the feedback on the microphone. And then all of a sudden the movie or the the music starts and Whitney Houston, look, Whitney Houston's a great singer. It, But this documentary kind of goes 
it's extremely by the numbers. It's it's a documentary biopic. It's a extremely by the numbers. It's a biopic you've seen a million times. But I love Whitney Houston's music, and they played a lot of it, so I was very cool with that. Um, th- you're not going to learn anything new. Uh, if you don't like Whitney Houston's music, stay away from it. Um, if you like Whitney Houston's music, uh, maybe go on YouTube and listen to some Whitney Houston music. But if you want to listen to Whitney Houston music with someone that looks like Whitney Houston, sing it, then this might be the movie for you. Uh, it's playing on Netflix. I'd probably give it like... Eh, two and a half two and a half stars mm. um it, it's not a it's not a bad move it's just extremely by the numbers for this sort of thing okay uh, that is whitney Houston. i want to dance with somebody to eric's point tomato meter from the critics give it only 44 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes are obviously huge whitney houston fan like eric was saying and yeah. uh, it has a 92 percent rating from the and, audience score and that that makes sense too because this is kind of like a crowd pleaser type movie and if you haven't seen like a hundred biopics to know that this is like every other biopic you've seen, you know, may, maybe, uh, maybe be more forgiving for this sort of thing. Um, other thing I saw was, uh, uh, plays on, it's on YouTube. It says it's free on YouTube. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think it's legal on there, but it's also on Roku just in case it's not, but it's an episode of masters of science fiction. Um, and this one is directed by Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and it's written by Harlan Ellison and Josh Olson. Now, the the WGA writer strike happened. And then I was watching a uh I was watching some uh you know, a bunch of old Harlan Ellison things, and one of them was an interview with uh Josh Olson interviewing Harlan Ellison, and he mentioned this uh thing that him and uh, Harlan Nelson wrote together. And in my head, I was like, well, I'd never heard of this. So let's check that out. And I checked it out. And I guess I'll read the thing. This, this is a strange one. After 37 years of traveling in space in hope of finding a new home, a group of mutants face an interesting proposition. There are now only 93 discards left on the ship, less than one third of the original group. An envoy from Earth visits them to advise that the virus has caused their mutation. They've caused their mutations to spread, but they've managed to find a cure. The only problem is that they need the mutant's blood in order to manufacture a serum in exchange. So essentially, the uh, people of Earth sent these mutants out to space. Screw you guys. You guys are others, and we don't want to have anything to do with you. And now everyone on Earth is uh, has their mutated mutation, and they need them. And um, uh, oh, geez, what's his name? The dad from Tommy Boy, uh, first first blood. Um, oh. cannot remember his name. Uh, Brian Dennehy. Yeah, Brian Dennehy. Um, he's uh, he's kind of, I guess, the leader, de facto leader of sorts. And so when the uh, person from Earth comes up to uh, say that, hey, you mutants, uh, you give us your blood and you can come back to Earth, Brian Dennehy basically tells him to F off. Meanwhile, everyone else is homesick. They want to go back. And it's kind of that tale of uh, when someone keeps screwing you over and screwing you over, Brian Dennehy's the one that's like, they're going to screw us over again. Meanwhile, everyone's they're not thinking of the long term. They want the instant satisfaction. And as you can imagine, 
well, I won't say how it ends, but you can imagine how that something like this might end. It's a really good story. Definitely uh, cynical. Um, but you know, a story like this kind of needs to be, and it's got all the, all the Harless and El- Harlan Ellison flavor you might expect. And with a little bit of Josh Wilson thrown in there. Okay, and uh, Jonathan Frakes, Captain yeah. Riker, uh, directed this. So that's pretty sweet too. Masters of Science Fiction, The Discarded on Roku and YouTube. What's your rating on it on this episode, Eric? You know, I would give this one four stars. It's definitely uh, rough around the edges because it was, you know, like a made for TV. Like, uh, I think this was uh, produced by Mick Garris, kind of similar how he did the Masters of Horror thing. So it's like you get not much budget, but you can do whatever you want. That's kind of what they did here. Um, and like the Masters of Horror series, um, this is only a Masters of Science Fiction episode I've seen, but it's a really good one. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go probably four stars. It's a really good story. And, uh, you know, it's cheaply done, but the story's there. So who cares? Again, Masters of Science Fiction, the discarded on Roku and YouTube. Finally, before we get to Bruce's box movie this week. Beta beta per usual, nothing going to be fancy because I do have a little bit of a cold. So please drop that cold beat, beta beta, right now. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Pain. All right, guys, we Little have Pete what? Freeze that beat. <laughs> Sorry. Pete go, freeze go that go beat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The Last Picture Show is a movie directed by and co-written by Peter Bogdanovich. I was very lucky in my life to actually interview him several times. Really nice guy. He had the nice little ascot whenever I interviewed him for his books, some of his movies. Actually went on the set of one of his movies called That Thing Called Love. Very nice guy. A cinephile just like us. Obviously, very talented filmmaker. In our cinematic Facebook group, there's been a lot of buzz about how awesome Targets is. I think uh, Anderson loves that as well. And I think Bruce and Eric have seen Targets, maybe? I haven't seen Targets. I, I, I haven't. I know Anderson loves the hell out of it, seems. But okay. uh, I've not seen it. So Targets is highly praised. That said, the movie that put Peter Bogdanovich on the map is in 1971, The Last Picture Show. Bruce Perky, take it away with the plot. This black and white film. Does it work for you? It's considered a classic. Overrated or actually on point? So, yeah. So The Last Picture Show in 1971. Uh, black and white. Um and I guess I heard I saw a couple descriptions of this, and a lot of people said things like, uh, "It's like uh, American graffiti, but not as much humor." <laughs> you know, uh, so that kind of is it's this desolate little Texas town, and it starts out, and you know it's desolate little Texas town because you basically just have, I mean, it might as well have tumbleweeds blowing through it. But instead, it's just kind of windy and breezy, and it's supposed to be in the '50s, if I remember correctly. Um, a little, you know, ramshackle truck is rolling through and, and you just start meeting some of your characters. First of all, boy, it's jam-packed with char- with actors that you might know. Um, a few of the actors are Eileen Brennan, Randy Quaid, Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepard, Timothy Bottoms, uh, Cloris Leachman in a surprising serious role. Uh, and I think, did she get nominated or win an Academy Award for this? I think maybe, possibly. Um I know Greg probably knows. Uh, uh, a couple of pe- uh, people to mention this too is Clue Gulliger, which may not be familiar to some people. She but... won the Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Oh, good. Okay. And then Ben, and then ben Johnson, right? Ben Johnson. Supporting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So both, so both supporting acting roles got one for this movie. Clue yeah. uh, Gulliger's in this, plays a minor character. He is one of the main characters in Return to the Living Dead. I love him. And I just started watching Tangerine, and he's in Tangerine. So it's a Clue Gallagher, Gulliger week. Um, <laughs> so basically, plot-wise, it's not a, this is not a plot movie. This is a movie – that's why I said something like American Graffiti or if you talk about – you know, we've been talking about these movies recently when we talked about um, Kenny and Company. You know, these kind of – these movies where you're with a bunch of characters in a setting, in a time and a place, and you kind of get to know, like – what it is like living in that time in that place. So this is, you know, Texas, really small town life, very not, you know, poor. And it's, but it's like almost the main characters are almost all like either high schoolers or just out of high school. And there's a lot here about, you know, kind of the dream of, you know, America or whatever, but the dream of these kids. And then just kind of seeing very quickly that the reality and what you have after that is not, so fantastic the other thing about this movie that's kind of odd to me but maybe it's the thing of its time it's a very horny movie <laughs> i was surprised by how it's, it's it's sex stuff all over the place i mean they're teenagers i get it it's the 50s so they have to do what they can do but i was kind of surprised by how much of that was in this movie i expected it to be a little more of just this kind of uh character piece and it was but also lots and lots of that stuff too um overall i kind of lean on this movie and i'll let you know, obviously Eric talk about what he thinks about it too. For me, this movie is kind of like what he said about the eight mountains. Like I can tell this is a very well-made movie, but it was kind of bleak and it kind of didn't move me a lot. And it kind of didn't, you know, spark my brain a lot. Um, I just kind of kind of identified that it was well-made and well-acted. And that was kind of where I fell on it. Well, were you surprised that you actually were pretty much underwhelmed by the, the last picture show? Yeah, I didn't really know what to expect coming in. I mean, I put it this way: I didn't hate it. I, I'm not going to go as low as Eric did on on the Eight Mountains, but uh, it also didn't. I, I I know most people consider it kind of classic status, and for me, it it definitely didn't hit me like that. All right, Eric Holmes, classic status is that the judgment for the Last Picture Show, or do you agree with Bruce? Uh, I'm probably more in Bruce's camp. I think I liked it a little more. Um, but Bruce did mention one of the uh, bigger stars of the movie. Uh, forgot to mention. Hank Williams. Oh yeah, exactly. If you love Hank Williams, man, there is every more than scene. Enough. Um, one of my favorite movies by Peter Bogdanovich is Mask, and he. Uh, there's kind of a lot of uh, similarity in this because, like, Mask is about Rocky Dennis, but it's not. There's not really a plot to it. You're just kind of hanging out with Rocky Dennis and Cher and Sam Elliott and you know all them, and you know just following Rocky Dennis's life. Um, and instead of, uh, instead of Hank Williams, you get Bob Seger or Bruce Springsteen, if we get the special edition, which I guess they wanted, but we're talking about the last picture show. Um, yeah, this is, this is like, uh, Days and Confused, Boogie Nights, uh, uh, the, the George Lucas one that Bruce mentioned earlier, and I can't remember because my American Graffiti garbage, American Graffiti, all, all, you know, American Pie, all the Americans, um, But you're just kind of you're. I think this uh, movie lives and dies on the characters, and uh, I think I think there are some really good characters in this. Um, But do you want to follow them or not? I I think that's that's what it all boils down to. I love Cloris Leach, like the whole bit with Cloris Leach. Man, Randy Quaid shows up in a little in a very. uh, Oh yeah, there's a lot of naked people in this. (laughs) 
<laughs> as much Hank Williams is in this movie, there's about almost equal amounts of uh, naked people and uh, neck and making out, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a slice of life picture. And if you're in for that, I think you're, this is a really good version of that. And if you're not in for that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to dig it. Um, but I, I think for the most part, I dug it. This is just not my favorite Peter Bogdanovich movie. Cause like, you know, mask is like pretty top tier for me. This one didn't quite reach that, but I still liked it. I still enjoyed it. Okay. That said, what is your rating on the last picture show, Eric? I probably go three and a half. Three and a half, okay. four on a good day. Solid recommend from Eric Holmes. What about yeah. you, Bruce? Well, surprisingly, I'm going to still go three and a half too. I think that maybe it's just because of where I thought it might be versus where I ended up at. I still think it's got enough really good stuff in it. I can't, I think I was just thinking about it when Eric was talking about it. I think what he brings up is really good. And that is to me, the characters that were the most interesting were like the Cloris Leachman and the Sam character and the characters that won Oscars uh, because they were the most interesting and well-lived characters, but they weren't our leads. So the people I was with all the time, I wasn't quite as, as interested in. So I guess that's part of my problem with it. I'm not going to, but I almost want to bump it up a half star just because they did not, it was set in Texas, but they did not shoot it in Monument Valley. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. As as we learned from the thing earlier that uh, that is a problem apparently. Yeah, years later, The Last Picture Show would have a sequel directed by Peter Bogdanovich called Texas Phil. I looked online. It's very hard to find Texas Phil right now. It's not streaming anywhere, but be really interesting to see. I remember when it was released, it got a lot of mixed reviews. But I don't know if you're a fan of The Last Picture Show. Just know that there's a sequel called Texas Phil with the, the returning cast members. So that is The Last Picture Show, both three and a half stars from Bruce and Eric. Speaking of Bruce, close out the show with oh, yes. whatever's in the box. <laughs> The box. It's got to shake it. The box. Shaking the box. All right. Shake, let's see what shake, we got shake. Here. shake, shake, shake. Did shake we mention that, that Peter McDonovich was the one interviewing John Ford in that movie we watched earlier too? Wasn't it? Oh, is that is that who was interviewing? I think him? it was. <laughs> oh, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right. Oh, All right. Greg, you're going to be so happy about this. <laughs> the good night mommy remake is now gonna oh, be watched by me oh the good I might, I might actually do a a rewatch the good night mommy remake is currently on prime video headlined by naomi watts should that is and my we know pick. how good naomi watts is these days in her movie so <laughs> okay so that is let us know what you think of good night mommy was it a movie that you felt was underrated we're talking about the naomi watts's version we will be reviewing it next week and yes i'm definitely going to watch it Eric Holmes has not watched Good Night, Mommy. I think either have you watched either version, Eric, the original yeah. as well? Okay, I, well, I I have not, but uh, you know Naomi Watts. It's got to be good, right? It's got to be good be. if it's <laughs> Naomi Watts, right? What was that movie? What's the the Henry? What was the movie that we loved? The portrait, not Portrait of Henry. What was that Book of oh, Henry? The oh, Book of Henry. Love the Book of Henry. I actually love Book of Henry. <laughs> Book of Henry is such a weird movie because I I remember me and Steve were watching it. And we were just locked in, like just it totally eating it up. Yeah. You know, like we get done with the movie. It's like, wow, that movie was great. What was everyone talking about? And we started talking about it. It was like, and when he did this and this, and just, wait, <laughs> <laughs> that movie doesn't make any sense. Now, this, no. like when we stopped to think about it, it didn't make any sense. But like, as we were watching it, you know, you got to give it credit for that. Like we were just uh, kind of like, uh, uh, what was it? The, uh, 
Matthew McConaughey said Serenity. 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 <laughs> yeah, that, speaking of double features, Serenity and Book of Henry. Yes. <laughs> Parallel movies. Up. Movies that make incredibly weird twists that you can't believe anyone actually greenlit, but they did. <laughs> okay, apologies, guys. I was I wasn't sounding like this. I was more sounding like this, my my normal voice. And I wasn't that excited this week, and I apologize because of my cold. So we thankfully Bruce and Eric carried cinematics episode one hundred and eighty-eight, I believe. Eric, any final thoughts before you go? Uh WGA rider strikes going on. So uh, you know. Good, bad. I I don't know. I I guess if it goes on as long as the last one did, we got a uh, at least a good month or two of uh, crap to look forward to. Not mm. immediately, but you know, the when the cycle comes around. Okay. Um, but right. yeah, there's a there's a bunch of bad takes on the the writer strike online. So have fun with those. I'm with the bad guys myself. But anyways, Bruce, final thoughts. I'm kidding, Eric. Final thoughts, Bruce. Final thoughts, I would just say, yeah, if it sounded even slightly interesting to you, give The Eight Mountains a try. I think this movie is possibly going to be totally buried, and I think it's a pretty amazing movie and should be watched. It's one of those movies like recently, Joyland, which is buried. There's so many great movies that is just under the radar. Thankfully, here at Cinematics, we get to cover them. Wonderful Pakistani film. All of us love Joyland. At least two of us. I mean, Eric gave it a kind of an okay review with The Eight Mountains, and both Bruce and I over that film thank you guys so much we will see you next week and hopefully i will sound like a movie take care guys and thanks for listening